The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. I'm normally a stickler for keeping keeping down the path that we are going. We've been looking at the life of Christ. Today we were actually supposed to be in John chapter 17, uh, but sometimes things happen. Things come up where I think an audible needs to be called uh, just to address situations that are happening within the world, uh, within our lives, within the church family. I think this is one of those times we really have faced some unprecedented things in the past week or week and a half. Uh, things have escalated quickly. Uh, I know for us as a staff, I, I want to say I'm really thankful for our, our staff. I've been driving them crazy this week. And I'd come in and say, this is what we're doing. And I would leave and I would come back 10 minutes later. We're doing something different. <laughs> and I know it had to be very frustrating for them, but they smiled through it and were kind and and so uh, I hope, I know there's been some confusion even with things at church, with no Sunday school and different things. We, we did our best to get the word out as fast as we could and the best way we could. And I'm just thankful for our staff working really, really hard on that. But in light of everything that is going on, I want to direct our attention to, to Romans chapter 12 because I think it will pro- propel us as well as to the direction I think our, our church needs to take moving forward in the next few weeks. And I want that to be driven by God's word and I want you to see that. And so I hope that you will, that you will see that. I do want to say this. Um, I see the time. The time is 918 and I, I, we have to be done by 10 because we have a, a new group hopefully coming in. And so... Uh, what is the case for a lot of us, and I, I like that this is the case for a lot of us, but normally after church we stay and talk. I think that's a healthy thing, and I think that is a good thing. But today I need you to leave, okay? When we get done here, I need you to, I need you to get out of here. And we set up cones so that hopefully nobody, uh, hopefully you all parked over here, or at least most people parked over here, and so you guys can all go out that way while hopefully new people are coming in coming in this way. So that's really the, the goal for that. So I'm not trying to be rude, but I want it to be done by, by 10, as close as we can. So let's look at Romans chapter 12 together. I'm going to read the whole chapter and then preach on the whole chapter as well. So follow along with me. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy if in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it to our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. 
Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When we look at verses 1 and 2 of this passage, uh, this is one of the main verses of my life, main little sections of my life, something I've clung to for a long time, so much so that I've forced our youth to memorize it every year at youth camp, every year that I've done it, because of how vital I think this passage is and what it means. When we look at verse 1 there, we see that it calls us to present ourselves a living sacrifice. One of the things that we see happening in this passage is we see that there is action required on our part when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, that we are to present ourselves this way as this living sacrifice. There needs to be a willingness within our heart, a letting go of ourselves, if you want to think of it that way, to be able to fall before the Lord and say, here I am, I am yours. There is action that takes place there. There, there, there is something that, that we must do in that. And we see that very evidently here in this passage. And, and in, in our hearts, within our lives, there needs to be this drive to be, to be holy before God, it talks about. Right? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And so we strive to do this. As we, as we follow Christ, as we trust in him as our savior, by faith we do that. He pours his grace out in our life. We, we have this drive and this, this desire to be holy before him. Now we have this understanding that it's not our holiness that saves us, but because God has saved us, we have this drive. We want to be holy because we want to be like our Savior. We want to be like our King. And so our true desire in our heart is to be holy. But it's interesting because as we get to, to verse 2, it says these things that we must do. And then in verse 2, it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but what? But be transformed. Now, this is something that I can't do in myself. I can't transform myself. This is something that God must do in my life. God, God must transform me. And, and we are encouraged in here in Scripture that God will transform us. But we must not be conformed to this world. We cannot be swayed by this world, right? We cannot let this world determine what is true in our life or what is real in our life. We, we cannot do that. We cannot let this world that we live in determine what our worldview is going to be or, or what our belief system is going to be. We cannot trust the world to do that. That would be conforming then to this age and conforming to this world. Thus, thus our actions and the way that we live must come from the Lord. That's very important as we live how we live, as we live in this world. And so we do our best to faithfully live this way. Striving towards God in all things, 
letting God transform us into his image on a daily basis, being molded, being shaped, being made into, into his image. This is a daily thing that happens in our life. And, and what happens as God does this is he opens our eyes to his truths, right? He opens our eyes to the truths of his word more and more and more. And what should happen and what does happen in the Christian's life is as God does that in our life, the world looks different almost every day if we're growing, if we're growing, because we're understanding the world better every single day. You see, we, we have this new understanding. We have this new truth, but also what should come alongside of us as we have these new understandings and as we have this new truth is also now we have these new feelings. We have these new feelings about how we should live in this world. We have these new feelings about how we respond to the world. All of a sudden, we have these new feelings about the people that we run into on a daily basis or the people that we hear on television or the people that we read on the internet. Because God has transformed us and because God has changed us, because God has opened our eyes up to the truth of his word, all of a sudden it transforms our heart and it transforms the way we think. And it transforms the way that we respond and the way that we react. And that's important and that's vital. We cannot be swayed by the direction that the world is going, thinking that must be the direction we should go to. No, we go the direction that the Lord would have us to, and that is unchanging. That is unwavering. And so we hold to that, and we must stand firm on that. Well, Paul continues on in verses 3 through 13, and he gives us some actions as believers in verses 3 through 13, of, of the actions that we should do. I don't want to go back and, and read those again. But what we see is that as God gives us faith, he also then gives us tasks. And this humbles us, right? This, this humbles us in our life, realizing that it's God who gives us this gift of faith. And it's also God who gives us gifts in our life that enable us to be useful within the body of Christ, God gives us those gifts. He gives us those abilities. It's not of our own doing. It's, it's a gift that he gives us. And so then we all have a part. We all have value within the body of Christ. And that's exactly how Paul describes it. If you look down, Paul here in verse five describes the church, describes believers as the body of Christ. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. When Paul says it that way, it helps us to realize that we not only belong to Christ, and so you make this personal relationship with Christ, right? You're, you're saved, and I hope that you have a, a good, strong personal relationship with Christ. But when, when Paul uses this image of a, of a body, I have this relationship with Christ, yes, but we come together to form this body, and so thus I have a relationship with you. You have a relationship with me, and it's a very important relationship, we might spend a lot of time in our relationship with the Lord, and we, and we should, but we also should spend a lot of time in our relationship with each other because we comprise the body together, and we need each other in this. I think there's a song that's out. It's really popular. You probably know it. I think it's called Oceans. I'm not good with that kind of stuff. I think that's what it's called. Um, but listen to what it says. 
This is a song that we sing. Your grace abounds in deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where feet may fail and fear surrounds me, you've never failed and you won't start now. So I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. Why? For I am yours and you are mine. And listen, we sing that song and we love that song, but I want to tell you the truth as well. You're mine and I'm yours. It's not just God is mine and I am his. Yes, that's a great truth and I, and I love that. But we are each other's as well. You're not separate from me and I am not separate from you. What I, do, what I do affects the body and what you do affects the body. And we have to realize that and we have to understand that and we have to take that very seriously. When we understand that, we understand that then we must be faithful to our task, to the task that God has given us. We need to be faithful to that. Why? Not for my benefit, not just so that I can bless and honor the Lord and the things that he's called me to, but also so that I can bless you and honor you in the things that he has called me to. Right? God has put me in the position of, of pastor and I, I, I'm called to be a pastor because God has called me into that, I believe. And so I want to honor him in that. But you know what? I also want to honor you in that. I'm called to be your pastor. I'm called to be a part of this body of Christ. And so I need to care about you and you need to care about me. And that goes for all of us as individual members. Because as we see in verses six through eight, we've all been given different gifts. We've been given different tasks here. And these are specific these aren't gifts that we've all been given. I, I can't say we all have these gifts in verse 6 through 8. I don't believe that to be true. We have these different gifts, and Paul says, use the gift that you have and do it honestly. Do it openly and do it with joy. Do it cheerfully. Now, as we get to verses 9 through 13, though, I think something changes in this passage. Verses 6 through 8, I think, are specific gifts for specific people. But as we get to verses 9 through 13, I think what we see here is we see actions for all believers. These are not individual gifts, but these are what all of us should do. These are the actions that all of us should have within us that we should be doing on a regular basis. And they're not easy, but it's what we're called to. Verse 9, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Ah. Oh. When we talk about that on a personal level, how often do we see in our life when actually we want to cling to what is evil because it feels good? We want to cling to what is evil because it sounds like so much fun. But yet we're called to abhor that stuff, to, to push that stuff away. I don't know if you read the letter that we put out as a church, but this hit home so much for me. Uh, Pastor Kevin DeYoung, he pastors down in like one of the Carolinas now, but he used to be in Michigan and Lansing. And he said, man, if only the church would take this much precaution with sin as we are now currently with this virus. Sin is so much more deadly. Yet, yet we will do everything we can. We'll go buy Clorox wipes and lots of toilet paper for some reason and all these other things and why? To, to, to make sure that we don't get sick. And listen, I think that's wise. We, we, should, we shouldn't want to get sick. I walked out of a restaurant recently, and you know who I ran into? Somebody that you don't want to run into. 
I ran into a health inspector walking into the same restaurant I was walking into. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Why couldn't we have walked in together? Because then I would have walked out. I wouldn't have ate there, but I'd already ate. Right? I would have took that caution and said, you know, I'm going to pass today. Let's find out the results. And then I will come back. To me, that's just wise. To me, that's just something smart to do. And so I'm not saying it's, it's, it's not smart to take those precautions. What I'm saying is so often in our life as Christians, we're called to abhor what is evil, yet we let sin creep in so much. I mean, parents, you know, ask your teenager to get rid of their phone and what are they going to do? If you say, listen, it's a precaution because of sin. I'm afraid it's driving you to sin and I want to protect you from that. Your student's probably not going to look at you and say, thank you, mommy. Thank you, daddy. I love you. They don't say that. Why? Because even this first action here is so difficult for us to abhor what is evil and to cling what is good. It seems so simple on the page that we fail in it all the time. Paul continues on. I'm not going to spend this much time on all of them. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. And this is talking within the church, really, the main aspect of it. In honor, giving preference to one another. Let, you know, so looking to others before yourself, caring more about other people before yourself, the importance of that as a Christian. Verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, the hope that Christ has given us, right? The eternal hope that we have, not a guess, not a wish, no, a certainty of who Jesus is and we rejoice in that. Being patient in our tribulation, patient in our difficulties, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. This really isn't a big list. And when I look at this list, I think it's something that we can do. It's something that we should strive for. But yet, if you're like me, when you see it, it becomes evident very quickly how often we fail at following through with this list. Just giving grace to somebody, right? Just, just giving grace to somebody, not thinking the worst about your fellow Christian, your fellow body member. To say, well, maybe there's a reason they thought that way. Maybe there's a reason they made this decision. Maybe it wasn't just because they hate me and they think I, they want to kick me out. No. Maybe there's a reason behind what's going on with the decision your Sunday school teacher's making or the decision that your friend has made. Right? These are the actions of all believers that we see here. As we get to verses 14 through 17, we see the empathy of the believer. This section is very difficult because as we live this out, it's often not reciprocated back to us because verses 14 through 17, if we as the church all do our part, right, within, within the church, the things that I've talked about, we'll all benefit from it. If I put you before me and you put me before you, we both kind of benefit from that, do we not? But when we get to these verses, we start to actually get outside these walls. We, now, we'll still face some of these things within these walls, persecution, people getting on our case. We will within the church. But as we start to get outside these walls and we start to obey what God has called us to in verses 14 through 17, it will not be reciprocated back. And it's really, it really can make us nervous. It really can hamper on us because we don't know what the response is going to be. 
Oh, my neighbor who's been a jerk to me, I'm going to show him love in this way. What's he going to do in response? Is he going to love me back or is he just going to be a jerk again? Right? We don't, we don't know. But yet we are called to be empathetic to our fellow man. And this really is a tiring process because it involves every part of our being. I mean, these things that God calls us to are not things that can be done uh, without any extra energy. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's exhausting. That is an exhausting thing to live through. It's one of the hardest things to get across to new ministers and to new pastors and people who are trying to minister to people, right? I want you to go to the hospital and I want you to minister to this family. Well, what happened? She miscarried. I need you to go weep with her. I need you to go give her a hug. I need you to care for her and I need you to love that family well. When you're done with that, I need you to go to the school and I need you to go to this game because someone at church is playing. I want you to go and rejoice with them. How in the world can I go from this to that? That's not an easy thing to do, right? It takes everything inside of us. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. As somebody you loved has struggled through something and you've just weeped with them and then you go home and you try to go to bed, it's hard to go to bed. It's hard to sleep. Why? Because you're being empathetic with them. You care for them and you, you love them and so you feel what they are going through. You're struggling with, with what they are struggling with. And that is exactly what we are called to do. And we are called to do that with all people, no matter what. We're supposed to care for them. And listen, it is so tiring and it can be so hard. But it's what God has called us to. Too often as churches, we fail in this. We fail in many different ways, but especially in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. <clears throat> I'll be honest, as I've been trying to make decisions and talk with our staff and we've been trying to decide on things and talk with our deacons, one of the things I've promised myself I wouldn't do, and I've been pretty faithful to this, is I promise not to look at any social media stuff where some church member might be on it. Because a lot of times, I don't know if you know this or not, and I'm not saying it's you, but church members will say things where it feels like a spear has been thrown through my chest. They get mad over something where it's like, that was not the heart of the decision that was made. You were not in the room as we talked about the different passages that reflect the decision that we're making or why we're making this decision or why we're trying to figure this out or why we're striving to do this. And it's not from outside the walls. It's not some community member, it's not the mayor, it's not the governor, it's not somebody like that that you would expect to do things like this, but oftentimes it'll come across on a Facebook post or a response to something that was said. And it's like getting repaid evil for trying to do something right. When actually scripture says as Christians, we should repay no one evil for evil. Even if they do evil to you, you don't repay them evil back. That's not what we do. That's not how we respond. We, re, we have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And that's how we view it. That's how we need to do that. As we get to verses 18 to 21. This is the verse that I've really been reflecting on all week. And this is why I picked this chapter for us this morning. 
Verse 18 says, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. This has always been a very weighty verse for me because I see how this can be impossible. But we are called, if possible, to live peaceably with all. And the question that comes into my mind is, what stops this from happening? What stops me from living peaceably with everybody else? And the answer that I've come to is, it's not, it's not my response, it's their response. So, so if I have a problem with somebody, what I need to make sure is happening there is it's not me causing the problem. I'm living at peace with them, but maybe they have a problem that's being coming back with me. I, I can't be causing this. I can't be forcing this, right? It can't be on me. I must live at peace. And so if I come up to somebody and they have completely different views than me on the world, I can, if I want, harbor within my heart hatred, you know, just disgust, an unwillingness to live with them in any way, shape, or form. Or I can decide, you know what, I'm going to live at peace with you. I don't agree with you. I don't like the decisions you make. In fact, I do not even like what you stand for. But I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to live at peace with you the best that I can. Now, you might make it that I I can't live at peace with you. The government might say, let's say we don't agree with anything the government says, and the government might say, we do not believe in Christianity anymore. Thus, we hate Christians. Our response could be very simple. We still want to live at peace with you. We love you. We care for you in the Lord. We, we want to honor you as our government. That's us trying to live at peace. Now, they might respond in a bad way, which says, no, we will have no peace. That's on them, not on me right? I, I want to live at peace. I'm striving to live at peace. <clears throat> and it says, this is how you will reap coals on their head. We love even when it's not deserved. Even when they do not deserve to be loved, we love them anyways. And we care for them. <clears throat> and we continue to, to do our best to serve them and to, and to honor them. Again, remembering what verses one and two said. We do not conform to this world. We have God's truth in our hand. We cannot conform to this world, but listen, we can still love the world well and we can still care for them. So what does all this mean for us today? <clears throat> well, I think for you personally, I think you have to look within your heart and in your life and ask, do I live up to these things that God is calling us to here in Romans chapter 12? You see, Romans chapter 1 all the way through chapter 11 is pretty weighty. There's a lot of theology in there, and a lot of people like to study that, and they really like to try to get a grasp on that. But none of that means anything if you then do not conform to Romans 12. If what you know is not changing and affecting what you do, then I don't care what you know, because you don't really believe it. It's not really in your heart. And so personally, as a Christian, what you have to ask is, do I live this way, a Romans chapter 12 way? Am I being transformed by Christ on a daily basis? Is that happening in my life? And then as is it working out? Am I serving in the church how I should? Am I being a good member of the body of Christ? Am I being faithful in those things? Probably not perfectly, nobody is. Am I loving the world like I should? Do I abhor evil? Do, do I do 
evil to evil people? Or, or do I love people? Am I a peacemaker? Or am I somebody who's trying to destroy the peace? Always trying to find that little thing that's wrong. Always, always trying to get into the crack and, and trying to separate and trying to, to divide. You know, that, that's the world we live in today, right? You agree with 97% of what I agree with, but then all of a sudden that 3% comes out and what do you do? You kick them down, <clears throat> right? I'm going to destroy them. Over 3%? Over 3%? Those are the things I think personally that we can work on. I know for me, those are personally things that I need to work on. But also there's application for us as a church too, and that's what I want to close with this morning. Considering all that's happened in our world and considering this passage and trying to live according to, accordingly to this passage, these are some decisions that we've made as a, as a church staff and that I've led in. And so I want you to hear this from my heart so that you know and so that you can share with others. And I'll be saying this at our next service as well. Because of this, we are going to honor our government's requests moving forward to, to not assemble. We are assembling this morning, but we will not assemble next Sunday during the morning for Sunday school. We're not going to assemble on Wednesdays. We're not going to keep having two services in the morning, even if all goes well today. The reason for this, again, is driven from this passage for me. I think as a church, we should have a desire to care for those who are at risk, for our neighbors for our family members, whoever it may be. And I see this as living at peace when we can live at peace. What's not happening here, and I want you to hear this, what's not happening here from our government is this. They are not standing up and saying, hey, we do not believe in your faith. Don't assemble anymore. You can't assemble as a church because you're Christians. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is this. We are asking as a government, would you be polite enough to not assemble for the sake of your fellow man? And I feel it to be very harsh that churches are pushing back on that as if they're being persecuted. This is not persecution. This is not taking up our cross daily and following him by saying, we will assemble. Gosh darn it, I will shake your hand whether you like it or not. That's not a Christian attitude. That's not, that's not loving. We have an opportunity as a church family to be loving in this way, why push against it? Why not embrace it? You say, well, pastor, what about the book of Hebrews that tells us we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together? I'm going to get to that in a moment. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. But listen, you got to remember, we are saved by the blood of Christ, not by assembling together. I have heard it said for so long, the church is not a building. The church is not a building. But yet when our government says, hey, could you not go to your building? All of a sudden, we seem as if we're a building. We complain and we whine and we grovel. We have the technology today to still meet and there are still other avenues that we can meet in. And so I'll get to that. And so moving forward, we're not gonna have Sunday evenings for a little while. We're not going to have Wednesday evenings. They're canceled. We're not going to meet on Sunday mornings as well. The wild game dinner, we did not cancel the wild game dinner, but we postponed it to September 12th. If you have a ticket to the wild game dinner, 
you can hold on to that ticket and you can still attend the dinner on September 12th. If you want a refund, uh, Brandon will be outside in the hallway right after service where you can uh, sign and get a refund. You might not get it right on the spot, but we'll get you a check and we'll get you your refund. But we have to have the ticket in order to refund you because we're going to resell those tickets at a later date. Also, uh, the program has been canceled. Uh, This was a difficult one, but we wouldn't be able to practice. We were at a pretty vital part with drama, and we talked about pushing it back. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Drama people aren't that smart. We would forget everything, and we'd have to start over. All right? If we just skip like three weeks, we're done. And and so we thought, we can't do that. There's just no way. We're not going to be able to do that. We've got some very unflattering responses to that. And I want you to know that we didn't do that lightly, canceling the program. You know, some, and, and again, our main mission as a church is not programs. This doesn't hinder evangelism, doesn't hinder mission. It just means we can't do the program. Jesus still rose from the dead, I promise. So what are we going to do in the meantime? Well, I think this is an opportunity for our church to serve our church family in our community without fear when everybody else is scared. Now, whether you think this is overblown or not, it doesn't matter. I'm sure it is to an extent. But we have an opportunity as a church to serve our community and to be a light in a dark world. And so these are some ways, this is how we're going to do it. Number one, the YMCA has asked if we would be a food distribution center. Our schools have been fantastic. They are meeting the needs of hunger all throughout our community while they're not in session. And so our schools are still providing breakfast and lunch for kids who can't, who don't have that. Sadly, even in our own community, a lot of kids, that's the only meals they eat every day is the ones at school. They don't have dinner. They just eat breakfast and they eat the free lunch that is offered. And so our schools have devised a way for that to still happen. Well, the YMCA is going to meet the need of dinner time. And so at our church will be a food distribution at 6 p.m., We need people to sign up. Pastor Scott's going to be right outside these doors at a desk. And if you want to sign up to help distribute the food at 6 o'clock here, it it won't even be inside. It's going to be in the parking lot. The YMCA makes all the food. They bring it all here. People are just going to drive up. You hand them food, and they drive by. The other thing that we're going to have is prayer stations for people who drive in and get food. If they would like us to pray for them, we want to pray for them. And so we're going to have that as well. And so we're looking for people in in our congregation to meet that need. And so if you're willing to meet that need, and now again, if you're a person at risk, I would ask you not to do it. But if you're a person who's healthy, not at risk, even if you get this coronavirus, you're probably just going to be sick for a little bit. I've been asking to get it. Honestly, I want to be quarantined for 14 days. That's my goal. Okay. So I will be out there. Breathe on me. Okay. But we're doing that. Also, real quickly, because I know it's getting close to 10. We want to care for those within the church as well. You know of people who are at risk, or maybe you even know people who are sick, or you know people who are elderly who do not want to get out of their house, and that is perfectly fine. What we want to do as a church is we want to meet their needs. And so I've already had people within the church who've called me and said, listen, I want to go get groceries for people who don't want to get out of the house. I want to do whatever I can to go meet those needs. Will you help me us in two ways? Number one, you can see Pastor Scott at the desk to sign up to help those needs as well, if you would like to. We're trying to get names for that so we can get a list of people to call when those needs arise. But number two, we need to know those needs. Obviously, those people are not here this morning and they're not going to be because they're not leaving their house. 
but maybe you know who they are. And so as a church body, I would beg of you to pick up your phone and call people you know to see if they need anything. Do not, do not go to their house, but call them. Call them and say, what do you need? Do you need groceries? Do you need, do you need anything at all? Because the church wants to meet that need. And when you find that out, you call us and we will make sure that need is met. That's if you can't meet it yourself. You might say, I'll just meet it. Perfect. You're doing what we want. But if you can't, you call us and we'll make sure that that need is met. We want to do that. And then lastly, I want to encourage you as a church, I still would like to see you meet together in homes if you can. If you're not sick, if you're feeling well, and if you are comfortable with this, I encourage you to gather together, not just to hang out, not even to meet a meal, but maybe just get together to pray. Just to pray together, just to pray for the country, to pray for what's going on, pray for your church, pray that God would save souls and use us, do all of these things. Just, just a short time together to meet together. That is how we can go about not forsaking assembling together for now. I wish I could lay out for you all these other things that we'll be doing this week. That will be coming. We'll try to get words to you in terms of video, online sermons, online teachings, online prayer time. We hope to do all of that stuff, but we still got to work it all out and figure it out of how it'll work. So I don't have anything cemented down just yet. All right, but that, but that will be coming. So I would encourage you to be going on our website, the church's website, mmbconline.org, uh, to see those updates. And we also use Facebook uh, some as well uh, for those different things. So these are the things moving forward. I hope you hear my heart in it. I hope you see the scriptural basis for the decisions that are being made. Because to me, that's the most important thing. Because again, I do not want to be conformed to this world. I want to be transformed by Christ. And so this is not us conforming to the world. This is not us giving into fear. This is us living where we are currently. This is where we are. And the best way we see to love our neighbor, to live at peace with everybody, is to take these steps. And so I hope you'll honor that. I hope you'll be praying for our staff. I hope you'll be praying for each other. We can be a light in the darkness during this time. We can shine bright if we will be willing to do it. I trust that we will. I hope that we will. Let's pray together. And then after prayer, you can be dismissed, okay? <clears throat> God, I thank you for the truth of your word. And God, although this week has been uh, difficult for our country, really for our world, just things that are going on, God, I, I have no doubt there is panic and fear going on that probably isn't necessary. Uh, I'm sure that happens. But God, regardless of how we think about that, God, we want to be neighborly. We want to be loving. We want to be kind-hearted. We want to live at peace. God, we want people to see your love flowing through us. And so, God, now could be the time for that. God, throughout history, throughout the history of the church, God, the church has been there when things like this come up. When sickness or, or war, or whatever it may be, the church has always stood up and been a light to meet in the darkness, to care for those in need, willingly to sacrifice themselves and their health for the betterment of other people. God, help us not to drop that baton in this case. Whatever this coronavirus may play out to be, help us as a church to do what you've called us to do and help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful to you as we can. Help us to grow in you. God, I pray that as we have more time at home, probably, 
that we be committed to spend more time in your word, more time praying. God, that as families, that our, our dads and our moms would take the reins and, and worship within their home with their family. God, that families within the church would, would get together if they can to pray together and encourage one another. God, that we would use our phones to, to call each other, to text each other, to spread our love that way if we can't see each other face to face. God, we love you. We know that you're in control and we have no doubt. God, I'm confident of that. Nothing takes you by surprise. And so God, I'm thankful that we serve you, our Father, our Creator of everything. God, as we leave this place again, help us to honor you in everything we say and everything we do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you for coming this morning. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.